This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Pastor Matt Woodley and is part seven of our summer study on Proverbs. So about 10 years ago, my hometown, the place where I'm living right now is Aurora, second largest city in Illinois. Aurora made the front page of a major U.S. Uh, magazine, but it wasn't a good thing. It made the front page because the murder rate in Aurora and the gang violence were spiraling out of control. In 1996, the murder rate in Aurora was three times the national average. Over the course of years, and, and the police couldn't keep up on the cases. There were so many cases, they, they just couldn't follow up on them. Um, from 1996 to 2012, there were a lot of ups and downs, but basically the murder rate went like this. 2012, there were zero murders in Aurora. So a lot of people look at that, what happened? Well, a lot of things happened. Police did a fantastic job. Mayor's office did a fantastic job. A lot of things. But a lot of people point to two pastors who had a huge impact on the city over the years. Their names were Dan and Dave. And Dan and Dave come from churches that normally would not have anything to do with each other. Very different churches. But they were united in one thing, or a couple things. Their love for Jesus, their love for Jesus' church, and their desire to do something about the murders and drive-by shootings and gang violence and drugs in Aurora. So they prayed about it, they met together, and this was their strategy. They would start showing up every place where a murder had taken place. The next day, boom, they would be there. And they would pray. Just the two of them for a long time. They would hold these prayer vigils. Now a lot of people didn't like this. The business leaders said, look, you're drawing attention to this problem. It's just making it worse. You're driving people away from Aurora. They kind of had a point. The gang members sometimes would threaten them. And they actually literally told them, got in their face and said, we see you out on the street corner next time doing your little prayer vigil. We're going to shoot you down. But Dan and Dave kept showing up. They kept praying. For a while, it was just the two of them. Eventually, it caught on, and at one point, they had a 1,000 people at one of their prayer vigils. Now, I love that story, because what Dan and Dave did is they saw an opportunity to bring the good news of Jesus into a specific area of a really broken part of their city, and they seized that opportunity. They seized it, and they did something about it. When I first heard the story, and actually the story is it's a really crazy story. It gets way more wild than I can give you. But I thought, that is just a crazy story. But the more I thought about it, and the more I thought about the, the passages that we're going to walk through in the Bible in just a minute here, the more I thought, in a way, in a sense, that is what every follower of Jesus is called to do. Uh, let me put it this way, just succinctly. We are all called to seize the opportunities to bring God's shalom into the world's broken places. Seize opportunities to bring God's shalom into the world's broken places. <clears throat> now let me back up and explain what I mean by that. So in your bulletin, <clears throat> on pages 10 and 11, there's a lot of verses from the book of Proverbs, which we've been walking through this summer. This will actually be the last sermon from the book of Proverbs. But verse 17 in chapter 3 if you follow along, it says this, her ways, and that's the ways of wisdom. The ways of wisdom. Wisdom is personified as this 
woman who's inviting people into her ways. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. The word there in the original language is the word shalom for peace. And we know kind of what that means. Shalom means peace, but it means peace and the deepest, most cosmic, all-level kind of peace you can imagine. One theologian defined it this way. Shalom is the webbing or the knitting together of God and human beings and all of creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. It is webbing, knitting. Think of a, a piece of cloth where all the, the pieces, the, the strings are knit together in flourishing, where everything is functioning the way it ought to be. It's our relationship with God is functioning the way it should be. Our relationship with other people, relationship between ethnic and racial groups, <clears throat> relationship between human beings and all of creation. It's all flourishing. In the Bible, the, the story of God's shalom is really like a four-part story. And, and it starts over here in creation. God makes the world, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it was so good. That's another way of describing shalom. God made the world in shalom. Everything fit together. Everything knit together. The second part of that story is the world is fallen. The world is broken. We get to Genesis chapter 3. Two more chapters into the Bible. Boom. Everything's falling apart. Unshalom, anti-shalom enters into the world. Now there's brokenness. Now there's fraying. Now there's tearing in the fabric. People and, that were meant to be in the fabric are falling out of the fabric because they're not flourishing. The third part of that story is over here where Jesus comes to restore the shalom that God the Father started in creation. And he comes to restore that, to bring it back. Now there's one more part to that story. Part four, we actually back up in between the fall, in between the brokenness, in between the hope for restoration that Jesus will bring, this is where we live as followers of Jesus, hoping and aching and longing because we remember that, because we feel and see this, because we hope for that, we live in this place of tension, of longing and aching, but we also live with a desire that we as the church, we are called to bring God's shalom that will be one day. We are called to bring that into the broken places of the world. That's what those guys in Aurora did. That's what Dan and Dave did. And that's what we are all called to do. We're called to seize our opportunities, our opportunities to bring God's shalom into the broken places of the world. Look over me at some more verses here. And I'll just follow through some of these. So we go to chapter 3, verses 27 to 28, up in the upper left quadrant there. It says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. When it is in your power to bring God's shalom, don't withhold it from somebody. Do not say to your neighbor, Ah, go come again. Tomorrow I will give it. Maybe. When you have it with you. If you have the opportunity, do it. You know, our youth pastor, Will Chester, told me a remarkable story. And uh, Will, is Will here today? I saw, yeah, that's because he's no longer on staff. Um, because two weeks ago, he impersonated me in his sermon. And I don't know if you were here for that, but the worst part of that is he was actually really good. Um, and that's what really bothered me. So 
Anyway, but no, Will told this amazing story. He was in college. He was a college freshman. He owned a car. It wasn't a very nice car, but it was a car. He couldn't use it because he had to park it at home, and he would use it on break. Well, when he was home for Christmas break, one of his older mentor guys said, hey, there's a single mom. She really needs a car. If anybody's got a car, you know, if you can donate it to her, that would be great. And Will at first thought, I'm not going to donate my car. I wasn't thinking about that, but I'll pray about it. I'll pray for somebody else to donate their car. And then <clears throat> Will read these very verses. He, that's why he was telling me. I told him I was preaching on this. He said, yeah, I got a story about those verses. I wish I could imitate him now, but I can't. But, but he said, I got a story about those verses. And, and he said, I, God laid, I read these verses, and God laid on my heart, I need to donate my car. But the problem was the car needed $1,000 worth of repairs. So he sent out like a missionary support letter to raise money. He got the $1,000. They got it fixed. He donated it to this woman. Now, Will says, this is an important part of this story. He said, I wouldn't do that today. I have a wife. I have a child. I can't just go donating cars all the time. You know, I told Will, I wouldn't donate my car either. Besides, I'm leasing it. That would be illegal. But... <laughs> But the point is, when it is in your power to do it, when it is your opportunity, and that's what we're going to talk about, when you have to find your opportunities, what is your opportunities to bring God's shalom into broken places? Now, what is motivating this, this drive to seize our shalom opportunities? Is it, is it guilt? Is it some kind of political posture that we take? Is it a program? No. What drives this is God's passionate love for the poor that we see laced all throughout Scripture. And even in the book of Proverbs, this book of practical wisdom, all these verses about how we are supposed to treat the poor. Now, you might say, if you've read the Bible astutely, you might say, well, the book of Proverbs talks a lot about poverty, and it talks a lot about people are poor because they're lazy. Well, there is, could be some truth to that. Some people are poor because they don't know how to work or they're not willing to work. So Proverbs 6 is one example of this. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Observe its way and become wise. How long will you stay in bed, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest, and your poverty will come like a robber and your need like a bandit. Some people are poor because of character issues. But then some people are poor because of what I would call injustice issues, oppression issues, systemic injustice. It's the very same book of the Bible. It talks about why people are poor because of this reason. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 14. There is a generation, there's a bunch of people, the writer of Proverbs is saying, and they are not nice people. They are mean people whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives, devouring the oppressed from the land and the needy from among mankind. They oppress people. Now, you're driving down the street and you see a guy with a sign. It says, having a hard time, need some food, need some money. You're thinking, why is he poor? Is it because of character issues or is it because of oppression issues? Here's the thing. You don't know. You don't have a clue, do you? Because we don't know this person. And that's why it's so essential to walk with the poor, to get to know the poor, to become their friends, to become their equal, 
Not us looking down on them, but to talk to them human to human. Somebody made in the image of God to somebody made in the image of God. To hear their story, to let them hear our story. That is so crucial. But I'm going to talk especially about God's love for the poor who are poor because of injustice issues. And God has a heart for that. Look in your bulletin again. Proverbs 14.31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. Proverbs 19.17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. God is identifying himself really closely with the poor. If you insult a poor man, you're insulting God. If you're generous to the poor, you're lending to God. God is so intricately, intimately bound up with the ways of the poor. You know, Jesus took some of this concept, probably. He was a Jew. He studied the Hebrew scripture. He probably was looking at thinking about some of these verses when he said, whatever you do to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done it to me. It's right out of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 22 on the next page, 22 to 23. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate for the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. You rob the poor, God says, I am going to hunt you down. I am going to take you out. Seriously, God has some strong things to say about people who mess with the poor. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. He knows them. He's acquainted with them. So this love, this identification for the poor leads to our response. Look at verse Proverbs 21, 20, 13, on the bottom of page 10. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Then over to the next page, Proverbs 28, 27. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. So the prophet is telling, hear, hear the cry of the poor. See them. Don't just think of them as a category. See them. See who they are. And then Proverbs 31, 80, the last verse is there. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. It's not enough to just feel bad. Take action. Speak up. You know, if this is so important, then I was thinking all week about the question, how do we find our opportunities? Because I, my opportunities might be, not be your opportunities. Your opportunities might not be your neighbor's opportunities. How do you find your opportunities? If this is so important to God, and it is, well, let me, let me just mention three things really practically, pastorally here. Three things. Very simple things that are like ongoing life practices. First, meet Jesus. Meet Jesus over and over and over again. Did you hear that wonderful gospel reading? Jesus coming to those guys on the boat, when the boat, they, they met Jesus. We can meet Jesus in our everyday life. Call out to him, walk with him, get his perspective on things. See, if we don't meet Jesus, here's what's going to happen. We are going to get sucked in to the needs of the world and our own selfishness and our own lostness and our own darkness, and it is going to take us out. So every year you hear hundreds of 
commencement addresses. Go make a difference in the world. Well, so many people that try to make a difference, they burn out. They see their own selfishness. They see the needs of the world, and it overwhelms them. And 10 years later, they've been taken out. We need the power of Jesus to turn us outward to truly love others. We need the hope of Jesus to walk in the dark places like he walked into the darkest place on planet Earth at the cross and overcame it. We need his hope. We need the people of Jesus. We can't do this on our own. We need a whole community, a church that's in these, embedded into these, this fabric of shalom. So that's the first thing, is meet Jesus over and over again. The second thing is, as you're meeting Jesus, you start to see the needs. You start to see the world through his eyes. You start to feel the things he feels. You start to see issues the way he sees them. You start to see people the way he sees them. It's a slow change. It's a lifelong change. But that is what Jesus wants to do with us. I can't do that by myself. But we start to see Jesus. We start to hear and see the world the way he does. And what changes in us really profoundly is how we answer this question. It's a really important life question. It's one of the questions that just that haunts me in my life. It's probably three or four questions that haunt me all the time, in a good way. This question is, what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? Jesus will change how you answer that question. And I'll give you a warning, as many of you probably know better than I do, Actually, in some ways, not following Jesus is easier than following Jesus. Because when you follow Jesus, you're going to get your heart broken a lot by what's going on in the world. What breaks your heart? You know, I saw an article. It's, it's actually coming out in a, a new issue of Christianity Today magazine. There's an article about, that talks about between 1877 to 1950, so 73 years 1877 to 1950, there are 4,000 documented cases of African Americans lynched in the United States. In our country, this is going on. 4,000 documented cases. Not killed by terrorists, but killed by U.S. citizens. Some of them had vendors selling food while these were going on. I saw that article, and I just, I like, it broke my heart. That's just one thing among many. What breaks your heart? If you're a follower of Jesus and you're like, you're just numb, maybe you're burnt out, maybe you're callous, ask him, Lord, what do you want to break my heart with? Christians have their radar up for this stuff, not because they're better than people, not because they're morbid, not because they're self-righteous, but just because they're sinners saved by grace and their heart is beating with God's heart. And they can't not avoid this. They can't avoid it. So we see the need. And the third thing is, and this is where we have to think really strategically, 
We have to think with our minds here, not just with our hearts, but with our brains. We've got to think strategically, pray and get counsel and go before the Lord and talk to other people and talk to church leaders and discern what, is, what are my opportunities. Because again, they could be really different than your neighbor's opportunities. We need help in that discernment process. What are my limits? How can I live within my limits? How can I use my resources? Because I can't respond to every need and I can't respond in every way to just one need. So how is God calling me strategically at this season in my life with my limits and my resources and my life situation, how is he calling me to respond? And really, ultimately, the only one that can answer that is you. You can get help. You can get guidance from the church, from the scripture. You can get prayer. But you need to go to the Lord and figure that out. And let me just say that there's two ways to respond, really simply. There's what I call big crazy, and then there's little crazy. Big crazy is like extravagant opportunities. Like some of you might be called to leave this country. Some of you might be called to go work with an unreached people group. Some of you might be called to bring the gospel to places where you could get killed. Some of you might leave your jobs. Some of you might sell your house. There's people in this church that are doing big crazy. But for most of us, it's little crazy, ordinary crazy, just ordinary people. And some ordinary crazy might be, wow, you're doing that? I'm going to be on your support team. I'm going to pray for you every day. I'm going to help you go financially since you won't have an income while you do that. I'm going to maybe just do something little about this issue on a regular basis to make a difference. God loves ordinary crazy. He really loves it. And when you've got a whole church full of people, you know, some people, maybe 3 to 5% of the people doing really big crazy, and everybody else doing little crazy, it like that adds up to a huge impact. Now, at this point, you might think, okay, I've heard a lot of sermons on poverty. Now's the point where I'm going to really tell you to do more, to do it better, to be more sacrificial. Well, if that's where the Lord's speaking to you, go ahead, do that. But let me just end this way, differently. Let me just tell you what I and what a lot of the other staff get to see week after week because we kind of get the big picture. We don't do this perfectly as a church. We miss a lot of opportunities. But let me just tell you, we hit a lot of opportunities. We seize a lot of opportunities. Let me give you some examples. So about a month ago, we ran a little tiny ad in the announcement in the bulletin. It said we're looking for somebody who would house a woman who came from a Muslim background, came to know Christ. She was kicked out by her own family. She needed a place to stay for two to three months so she could get her feet in the ground. Complete stranger to all of you. Just a little, little announcement in the bulletin. Eight people came up to me and said, we'll take her in. Tell us, how can we take her in? That's one example. There's a family in this church, a man who had a great corporate job, took a significant pay cut to work with a ministry that's working with some of the most despised people in the area. There's some friends I know who took in a young pregnant woman whose mother was pressuring her to have an abortion. Took her in for six months until she gave birth to that child. And by the way, I said this in the first service, 
And I thought, whoa, I, that wasn't really in my notes. I just kind of threw it out there. But I'll say it again. If you or anyone you know is ever in that situation, you come and you talk to one of us on staff, and I bet you within 24 hours, we could get 12 people in this church that would take you in or take your friend in. That's something we would do. I'm really confident of that. We have replanted families who have adopted children, sometimes with special needs. We had a Good Friday offering a few years ago, and we said we're going to give money to this husband and wife doctor team that's working with Yazidi women refugees who were enslaved by ISIS. Can you think of anything more awful on this planet than being enslaved by ISIS? Being a woman and being enslaved by ISIS. That's what this husband and wife doctor team. Now that's really big crazy. But we said we want to do like kind of semi-crazy, middle crazy. We want to send people there to help them out. So in November, we're sending three of our own people, three of your people from this church are going out to that refugee camp to work with that, that husband and wife doctor couple. Some of you, your shalom opportunities have seized you. Maybe you have a child with disabilities, a child with special needs, a, a spouse that's got some chronic health issues. The opportunities have seized you. And every day you are choosing to seize that opportunity in that really hard place. God loves that. God will honor that. Now, none of this stuff will make the newspapers. It's quiet, it's under the radar, but it's costly and it's crazy and it's courageous and it's like Jesus. The church is a powerful thing in spite of all our imperfections when the church is healthy and people are working in those frayed parts, it is a beautiful thing to back up and see the big picture. And when you, join the, when you come to Jesus, you're a part of that. When you join the church, you're a part of that. So what is your shalom moment? What is God putting on your heart? Maybe there's nothing. But pray. Ask the Lord to put something. Ask the Lord to guide you. We have a Jewish friend in this church, Thomas Boehm, who came to know Jesus, follows Jesus as Messiah. He's a Jewish follower of Jesus. I was telling him about this sermon. He said, oh yeah, it's like carpe diem, seize the day, except it's carpe shalom, seize shalom. I like that. So what is your carpe shalom moment. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.